Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is uh, very special, uh, Samira Kiani. She received a medical doctorate degree from uh, Tehran University of Medical Sciences. Uh, before she joined ASU, she did some postdoctoral training in the Center for Synthetic Biology at MIT. And she worked there on developing synthetic gene circuits to reprogram uh, mammalian cells based on uh, CRISPR and Cas9. And uh, we're going to be talking about that today. So, uh, Dr. County, how are you doing? Good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, I, I don't know a lot about this area. I don't know if listeners do either. But, you know, we heard CRISPR-Cas9 and we can edit genes. So, what does that mean? What is CRISPR-Cas9 and what are we now able to do to our genome or the genome of, uh, of animals? Yeah, so um, the idea of gene editing or the ability to uh, specifically um, change the the sequence of uh, DNA has been out there for years and years. Um, People have tried to uh, access specific pieces of DNA inside the cells, whether it's human cells, plant cells, or animal cells, and uh, modify that using, uh, let's say, tail nucleases, zinc finger nucleases, or meganucleases. Um, those tools ha- have been available to us before, but they were expensive. They were hard to work and really required specialized knowledge uh, for everyone to be able to use it. Uh, when in late 2012 or in, in early 2013, researchers introduced CRISPR for this purpose. Everything changed because of like having now a tool that enables us to easily and very rapidly modify the DNA sequences. Now um, has enabled us to do many things that we were not doing before. Um, but I guess you want to know what exactly CRISPR is. Yeah, let's talk about exactly. Yeah, what is CRISPR? You yeah. know, what does it do? And then we'll talk about. Okay, so we can modify gene sequences. What's the consequence mm-hmm. of that? But first, yeah, what is CRISPR? Yeah. So um, let me just like a step back, uh, one step, and mention that if we wanted to biologically, if we want to modify any DNA sequence, the way um, kind of like classically it's done is that you. Uh, create a break, you create a damage in the DNA and the repair system inside the cells, which is inherent in any cells from animals, plants, mammals, um, they come in and repair that that kind of damage, whether it's a break within the double strand helix of DNA or whether there's a damage inside only one basis. We can hijack that repair system and do whatever we want from it, either to disable a gene that is not functional or we don't want it to be functional, or exactly repair a gene the way we want. Uh, So the key to be able to do gene editing the way we do it today is to be able to precisely do a cut inside the DNA in the location that we want. The rest will be taken care of by the cells themselves. 
So previously, we didn't have this capacity. We couldn't go inside, let's say, human genome and do a double-strand DNA break exactly where we want. CRISPR enabled that. What CRISPR is, is basically CRISPR is kind of like immune system of bacteria. Bacteria get infected by, by viruses. And revolutionary, they developed this system, this immune system, which is kind of like um, taking these small pieces of DNA of, of viruses and putting it inside their own genome, kind of as a record. And the next time that they are infected with viruses, they develop the system called CRISPR that recognizes that, okay, this is the invading virus. And now, um, like, this system goes and binds to the DNA of the viruses and um, kind of like cleaves and chop up the DNA, DNA of the virus. Um, so it exists. It exists in bacteria, a variety of different bacteria in archaea and some other organisms. The, the, key, the key to CRISPR discovery was to adapt, to take that system and take it into uh, higher level organisms like, uh, like plants, like animal cells, and really use the similar you know, a strategy to perform gene editing to target um, our desired DNA sequence. So CRISPR is basically the classic form of that, the most, the widely studied form of that is a protein, uh, it's called Cas9 protein, which I would say it's a DNA scissor that you can program it to go and find any DNA that it wants. And the way it works, it, it, yeah. So we learned this from this is how bacteria do it. When, when a bacteria is attacked by, I think they call them what, phages, right? Those are bacteria-specific yes. viruses. Yes. So if bacteria are attacked by them, they use a protein to rearrange their DNA so they're not going to be affected by that bacteria anymore? I mean, by that Again, virus? Again, yes. Yes. Again, yes. That's amazing. So wow. That's amazing. Yeah, like, the, the, nature has very amazing like ways of, you know, very interesting lessons. Um, I, I think CRISPR's discovery was very amazing, which it showed us how creatively we can take lessons from nature and repurpose it and use it in our own uh, benefit. Yeah, so exactly. So we are yeah, kind of imitating nature's work in now in other systems. Uh, so what is this going to allow us to do with, uh, with the human genome? Um, well, as I said, you now can go and find any DNA sequence that you want, any gene that you want, in theory, and perform that kind of like double strand break in that location specifically, and then bring in cellular uh, or cells repair system to that location, and then uh, use that to uh, either disable that gene or um, provide a, a precise template for the cells so that it copy and paste that template inside that location. So what you can do in theory is that if you have a malfunctioning gene, for example, like let's say in cancer, some of the genes, uh, they just do not function as the way we want. We can go there and just using CRISPR, we can cut them and disable them. Uh, or if uh, children or kids are born with genetic diseases in which one of the or some of multiple of their genes have these mutations that let those genes to be not functioning properly, you can still use CRISPR and go to that location, provide the correct template to the cell, 
and really repair that mutation. So that's theoretical capacities that CRISPR has provided to us, and, and research has shown that it's possible to do these things in cells outside the the animal body, and some of the work is now showing that it's also possible to do that inside the body, although human trials have not yet widely started. So this is only one capacity, and I just don't, don't, didn't have the chance to mention that you know, CRISPR is so, such a versatile system that you can potentially disable its DNA cutting capacity, but it still retain that ability to um, target that to any gene that you want. And by, by, by adding additional elements to the system, you can uh, transiently turn off some of the genes that are malfunctioning or turn on some of the genes that due to a disease condition, they, are, uh, turn, they, they have been turned off and do that without even creating any permanent mark in the genome, which can be safer. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the versatility of this system, the, the, the cost, the um, simplicity of the system has enabled many researchers to start to try different strategies with this uh, CRISPR system, and that's why the field is moving uh, way rapidly forward. So it's mm. been amazing. Well, what's the next uh, item in the bacteria's toolkit so they can cut their own genome up? But then are they putting in, I mean, they must be putting in altered sequences to fight against a particular uh, virus that's attacking them, right? Like, what do they do next? And why don't we uh, continue to observe and take the next item in their toolkit and use it? Well, that's a, uh, that's a very interesting question. I mean, well, alongside that CRISPR is being develop, developed for, uh, you know, these sort of gene editing purposes, the whole you know, sets of scientists and researchers are really looking into the biology of CRISPR in its native form. Our understanding of how CRISPR recognizes uh, these viral DNA and how it takes samples from them and puts it in it in its own chromatin for uh, you know future purposes are starting to um, you know develop more and more as we speak um, and um, you know it, it's going to be amazing to understand what happens next for bacteria and then use that for um, our purposes for gene editing but a lot of research right now uh, in this field uh, a, a lot of researchers has have become interested to uh, to see. Uh, what are different forms of CRISPR? Because each bacteria has its own unique set of CRISPR. So a lot of researchers are trying to research different bacterial species to figure out new CRISPR, CRISPR that target RNA, not DNA, CRISPR that is simpler, smaller, or, you know, we just try to expand the toolkit of CRISPR by learning from bacteria now. So what have people been able to do with, uh, with CRISPR so far? So um, in terms of, you know, um, there are certain things that are being done, different levels with CRISPR. Some are purely experimental and tool development. A number of scientists, uh, including myself, have still, uh, we are very ambitious and excited to see how we can really use CRISPR to add and expand the repertoire of tools and capacity of things we can do with CRISPR, like for instance, um, can be sequentially um, turn genes on and off 
uh, using CRISPR the same as what happens in development. So, and some and some groups of researchers are actually working and the foundational aspect of how CRISPR works to expand the tool. Some are trying to use that to answer biological questions using cells that are grown outside body in the culture, like cancer cells. They want to screen for the genes that um, confer resistance to chemotherapy and define new genes that can be used for cancer treatment or answer some basic biological question by disabling certain key genes and understanding the, their, their function in the cells. And some are taking these tools in, 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 inside the animal or test um, kind of animals like mice or pigs or primates and try to understand how CRISPR can be used therapeutically to address genetic diseases. Can we, can we for instance, cystic fibrosis, can we correct the mutation that exists? Or, you know, um, diseases of genetic diseases of liver, metabolic diseases can be used that to do that. And these have been done in, in uh, animal models. And then some studies, like in certain countries like China and in U.S., starting to take these further into human trials by first starting to address cancer, which we know is very important. Um, and the first trials are focusing on taking immune cells from patients with cancer, modify them with CRISPR to uh, kind of like equip them with better capacity to recognize cancer cells and at attack them and then infuse them back to cancer cells. So these are, you know, immune therapies using CRISPR that are starting in the U.S. and have been going on already in China. So you can see well, how, do you, of things. how do you literally deploy CRISPR? Do you just, I mean, do you have to do it one cell at a time or do you just, uh, do you inject it into someone's bloodstream and it right. somehow it knows yeah. to go to the right cells or how, how does it literally work? So, well, this is a very good question. And the, the deli delivery, what we call delivery of CRISPR um, is actually very active area of research um, right now. Um, there are different ways you can do that, although I'm not saying that they are efficient. As I said, there are lots of research going on to increase the efficiency. One way is to use the classical way that gene therapies is done in clinical trials, and that is through viruses that are not harmful to humans, that include adenoviruses, adeno-associated viruses, or AAV, or different viruses that are currently being used in clinical trials for other purposes. You can just like put a DNA that has the produced CRISPR uh, potentially inside a virus. The virus then inject virus systemically, for instance, inside an, um, the body, and the virus, by way of its natural tropism, um, infects certain cells. Like, for instance, we know that uh, AAV, different AAV serotypes uh, or adeno-associated virus serotypes um, infect neuron cells. Some infect muscle cells. So if we uh, deliver CRISPR uh, DNA through these viruses to the body, these viruses transfer the DNA to those cells and uh, cells will use the, those DNA to build or make CRISPR themselves and, and the CRISPR then functions in those cells. And there are certain research that are going on to increase the specificity, to modulate where the tissue, what, what tissues it ends up. 
So this is one way and the most commonly way. There are other ways too. Yeah, um, I don't know if I heard you right. You said that uh, you can alter the, the way genes are expressed, not just cut and paste, yes. I guess is a crude yes. way to put it, but how does that yes. work? So um, as I mentioned, um, as I said, CRISPR is Cas9 and the guide RNA, which are the two components that make CRISPR are both very versatile. You can engineer those, meaning that you can modify the sequence of the protein, the amino acid code that makes the protein, and it still have a fun, um, a, 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 a protein that you know targets the DNA or gene that you want, but loses the capacity to cut DNA. And then you can additionally put or fuse additional regulatory elements, what we call, let's say, uh, proteins that uh, open chromatin or close chromatin to Cas9 protein. And when the Cas9 goes and finds its uh, our target gene, our desired genes, it also brings with itself those you know, additional proteins that can open a chromatin or close chromatin. And that way we can turn on and off the expression of a gene. But as I said, CRISPR is now doesn't have the capacity to uh, cut DNA. So therefore, um, its its effect on expression of a gene would be transient as far as long as Cas9 sits there, or the mark or the the the, the, the chromatin modifiers are there, the genes are on and off. Once it's 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 moved out of that place, the system goes back to its original shape, and it's actually safer hmm. if you want to consider for human trials and for the old you know these concerns that exist, what if Cas9 uh, cuts and destroys an essential gene? What if, uh, you know, we get a gene that it's normally tumor suppressor and accidentally disabled? So are we exposed to cancer formation? So these are, these are concerns with CRISPR therapy that, you know, this form of modified Cas9 that transiently uh, modulate genes, gene expression don't have. So it can be attractive alternative for many diseases. How do you, I mean, how many genes does a person have? I think it's what, like 20 to 30,000? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, you're right. There are a lot of different genes. Yeah. Well, how do you know where the uh, the CRISPR will will do the cut? How do you direct it yeah. to cut in one place and not another? Right. And so that's through that RNA. Um, I told here that, you know, the, the components of the CRISPR is that, you know, DNA cutter, that protein that they call Cas9, but that is essentially an enzyme. That's something that, you know, creates a cut in the DNA, but it doesn't know where to go and cut. Uh, so if you put it in a cell, it just basically sits, doesn't do anything. So it requires, like I would call, some legs to take the protein to where it what we need to, to go. And those legs are what we call a guide RNA, an RNA that guides DNA. And that RNA is designed in a way that the sequence of the RNA should match the sequence. Part of the sequence of that RNA should match the sequence of the target DNA or complement the sequence of the target DNA. Um, and there are so, whole sorts of design rules that, you know, in the field we incorporate to make sure uh, that, you know, that guide RNA is specifically targeting that region that we want with, with, and decrease that off-target, you know, binding of Cas9. So, yeah, you can design. So, the short answer is that that guide RNA is what makes it specific, but makes 
us to differentiate between whole different genes and uh, find that particular location that we want. Again, do you know of scientists that have gone back to the bacteria and are further studying the process, or is it that everyone's so excited about CRISPR that they're like, oh, forget it, Let's we'll figure out the rest mm-hmm. on our own? No, actually, there are uh, many scientists that are uh, kind of like um, working specifically on the foundation of how CRISPR functions in bacteria. Um, specifically, for instance, Jennifer Doutna, who um, published one of the first uh, papers on CRISPR, and, and she's now very famous for her contribution to the field. Um, her lab is actually, um, one part of her lab focuses on additional you know, biological characterization of the CRISPR system in bacteria. And her focus um, as, as is now mostly on that. Emanuela Charpentier, who's an, who is another person who introduced CRISPR to the field uh, for this purpose uh, for the first time, is also really interested in that know, foundational aspect of CRISPR. Um, so there are many labs who are working on that, but the majority of the labs are also applying CRISPR tools to answer biological questions without really focusing on how exactly bacteria uses the system. Do people have their own CRISPR in them? I mean, what, what are we using? Are we using literally a bacterial CRISPR molecule to do this cutting, or are we using an analog in people? No, we are literally using CRISPR of the bacteria in for this purpose. We do, So kind of like probably higher level organisms develop their own immune systems and, you know, uh, bacteria didn't have that capacity. But for the purpose of gene editing, let's say, in human or animals, they're literally using the, the Cas9. One of the widely used one is the Cas9 protein from the Streptococcus pyogenes. The same uh, um, bacteria that we are actually, most of our, us are also exposed to sometimes during our childhood, like pharyngitis. It's actually a common bacteria. So we literally take that, we a little bit modify that so it can be very well, I mean, expressed in humans, but essentially that's a protein from bacteria we use in humans. Wow. Um, you said there's a whole bunch of different uh, CRISPRs out there. I mean, how did we pick, or again, it, was it was it just a mad rush to say, hey, something works, let's do it, you know? Yes. Um, there are a bunch of them, you're right. Uh, I think the majority of research is now done with this Streptococcus pyogenes strain because it was the first one that was introduced to the field and it's the most characterized version. We know a lot about how specific it functions and uh, what are the rules for you know, its, its application. Uh, there are other CRISPR systems that are starting to be used more frequently by the researchers. Um, those are a smaller version of the Cas9 because one of the hurdles for for um, therapeutic applications have been the size of this protein. It has been so big that it's been very difficult to put it in the most commonly used viral delivery tools. So people have turned into other CRISPR systems like CPFON or Cas9 from Staphylococcus aureus, which is usually smaller, and I started to characterize those. Uh, but as you can imagine, majority of the uh, people in the field are using a Streptococcus pyogenes one just because it's a lot of people are using that and it's more characterized. Yeah. Um, where do you see this going? 
over the next few years. Um, you know, again, have people found specific applications to use CRISPR to successfully alter people's genes in response to cancer? Or other, were they not there yet? And where do you think we're going to be over the next, you know, few years? Well, um, it, this is actually a very good question, um, and you know, I, I don't know if you follow the fields and ups and downs of the fields closely, but there are so many. Um, the number of publications that come out of this this field is is huge, tremendous. I mean, you every day something new is introduced to the field. There are certain concerns about the safety of the use in human, for instance. Uh, there are a couple of recent reports that show that, for instance, CRISPR can have some um, unexpected um, effect on the DNA that needs to be very validated and thoroughly characterized and prevented if you want to use for, for human application. Um, so so there are concerns, there are safety concerns that we have to address before it can be widely used for human application. And I think that's where the field needs to focus and will focus in the next few years to address these kind of safety concerns of the CRISPR and ultimately slowly and cautiously move into human application. And primarily what I uh, and people from the rest of the field will envision is to, to the use of CRISPR in ca cancer patients, specifically immunotherapy, which is safe. You can get the cells out of the patient, you can modify them outside the body, you can screen for any safety issues and then transfer back to the patient's body. So that's less of a safety risk associated with that. And then also genetic diseases. I mean, there some clinical trials are scheduled and planned for blindness, for instance, or metabolic diseases of liver, which I see that the field will move forward. And once they surpass these limitations, safety and toxicity studies will be used for human application. And we didn't have a chance to really touch into the environmental application of CRISPR and, and its possible use to, let's say, um, combat diseases that affect that can be affect environment or infectious diseases that are passed through uh, mosquitoes, which is another area which is called gene drives. I don't know if you've heard about that. That might be facilitated sure. by CRISPR. Yeah. yeah, let's let's talk about that for a bit. Can you can you go over the sure. concept again? Yeah. So yeah, so gene drives um, have been um, again a topic of research for a number of years. Um, basically, what gene drive is is a system. It's an engineered mechanism inside an organism that allows a trait to be transferred to a next generation up to 100% with up to 100% probability doesn't follow the the classic mendelian inheritance you can put some sort of uh, you know devices into an organism's uh, chromatin so that that trait will be transferred uh, to 100% probability so people have been working on this gene drive did you have a question no no that, I'm, I'm just saying hmm, okay i'm listening yeah so people have been working on the system, but the system had been not very efficient. Again, CRISPR was introduced to the field, and so the gene drive community uh, has been excited about this because of the fact that with CRISPR, you can specifically cut a DNA and replace it with any DNA sequence you want 
due to uh, following the repair process, it has kind of enabled many gene driver studies. Now, gene driver studies can be done more efficiently and uh, easier. Um, one of the uh, one of the usage of the gene drive uh, is to, for instance, uh, put a malaria resistant gene in the mosquitoes that transfer malaria normally in, in, in the environment, and this gene through this gene drive will be transferred a hundred percent to the next generation. So over time, you develop these mosquitoes that are resistant to, to malaria transmission. So with that, you can potentially eradicate malaria. Um, or if there are, you know, organisms or like rats or mice or that are uh, kind of uh, not very um, beneficial for the environment, um, one could potentially envision putting um, a gene that, let's say, eradicate female uh, gender and only confer uh, the male you know, uh, phenotype to the next offspring. And with that, over time, eradicate that species. So this is the whole idea of gene drive, which is a powerful technology. And a lot of debate is about that, whether and how and if we should use gene drives in, in, in the environment because of its potential uh, effect on the climate and environment that we cannot really predict. Um, so a lot of, you know, debate is in the community, a lot of discussions, a lot of safety measures on place. And as I said, CRISPR has been incorporated into gene drives and a number of groups are working on that. So I could envision that the discussion about CRISPR and gene drives will also grow over the next few years. And maybe, um, maybe some gene drives will be tested in a confined environment, in a very, very limited environment in climate too. Well, very interesting. I mean, you know, it's just the beginning. And I think it's really amazing that uh, bacteria do all this. And we're just, yeah. you know, taking elements of their toolkit to to do this in mammals and in people, you know, it's really amazing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, very good. What, uh, for listeners, any follow-up materials that they should look at or, you know, uh, I don't know if they should contact you or your lab to find out more. Or what do you suggest? People want to find out more about this area. Yeah, they can. Uh, there are so many resources available online. They can look into if there are. Um, also, they can contact me if they have questions. But also, I want to uh, point out that you know, I'm also, as as a matter of like being a scientist, very much involved in this field. I have been also very interested to explore the the social, ethical, and you know, uh, all the regulatory aspects of all these techniques tools that we are making with CRISPR and all these, you know, capacities that CRISPR has enabled us. Um, and over the last nine months, I have been collaborating with a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker and film technologies to, to work on a documentary film. It's called Code of the Wild, which is actually what CRISPR is, Code of sure. Bacteria. And um, if they are interested in, um, the documentary is still in production and we'll have some opportunities for public to get engaged into the conversations around CRISPR. So they can visit the page. It's codeofthewild.org. And uh, there are so many information that will come to that webpage uh, over the next few months with regards to all aspects related to CRISPR, whether it's about the science behind CRISPR or the social, ethical, mm. regulatory discussions about it. You're going to have the streptococcus uh, in the credits of the movie or a picture of it, you know, like... Dick, I, I would, yes, I would be happy to. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yes. 
We are actively so cool. looking for collaborators. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time. This has been uh, really interesting. I appreciate you coming. Thank you very much for your questions. And um, I wish you luck in your program. And yeah, have a good You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.